Hey besties, it's Juju, KP and TT. Tools down, time to chat work, life, well-being and relationships. And you're listening to Let's Take It Offline. Welcome to the Take It Offline podcast. We're excited to be here and ready to share with all our listeners. We're three young professionals in our late 20s and 30s and currently working at some of the largest companies in the world whilst navigating life in all its aspects. On this podcast, we'll be looking to talk all things top of mind for young professionals these days or yo pros from career, well-being, finance, dating, ambition, and most importantly, having fun whilst doing all of this. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Let's Take It Offline. It's TT here, and this week we've got a great line of a speaker to touch on a topic that we're very passionate about. But before we do start, make sure you leave us a five-star rating, leave us a review, and also subscribe to our podcast and show us some love. We would love to hear from you. And so today we are going to have two speakers who are recruiters. We've got Alexandra Late and Alex Tyndall. Both are very experienced recruiters and have lots to share with us. When we first meet um, people and we say, hey, like we work in tech, everyone's like, what the hell do you mean by that? And we just feel like there's so much myths and misconceptions around recruitment and how to work with recruiters. So today it's all about debunks of those myths and help you understand how to work with recruiters better, how to position yourself for a role and some also very juicy tips around negotiation of your package and really just getting you into that dream job that you've been thinking about and more importantly if you're interested in a career in tech this is the episode for you so listen on and with that i will delve into introducing our guest for today it's my pleasure to introduce you to our two guests today so we've got alexandra late and alex tyndall how are you both hey good how are you yeah, very good. It's such a sunny day uh, out here in Sydney, so I try to make it, we try to like have a really fun time together and let you guys out go out then enjoy the sun. <laughs> let us run free, get some light. <laughs> yeah, it is so exactly. rare these days. You just you want to soak it all up. <laughs> yeah, it really is. The sun is back. It is. I feel like La Nina is like twenty twenty one now, right? It's no longer <laughs> a thing. Fingers crossed. Yeah, touch wood. Touch wood. Here she's coming back, though. Don't. Don't say that. I don't want to steal your thunders, Alexandra and Alex, so I'll let you introduce yourselves. Maybe tell us a bit more about your role and what you're doing at the moment, as well as one fun fact about you. Sounds good. I can go first. So hi, everyone. I'm Alex. A bit about me. So I am from Mozambique originally, moved over to the UK to study uh, business. And as you know, it's quite vague. You could go into anything really after that. Moved over to Australia to do my master's in international business. And that's where I really enjoyed speaking to different people, different cultures, understanding how everything works. And at the time, I just loved Australia. I wanted to stay 
ended up in recruitment um, through an agency. So I have been in recruitment now for ooh, maybe like eight years, business support recruitment, accounting and finance, and then over the last five years in tech. And I know we'll talk a little bit about that, but just a lot of learnings, I think, from all, you know, in-house and agency, as well as the different types of recruitment and, and just how interesting the, the tech space is. Fun fact about me, I actually used to race carts uh like competitively like for a few years back home uh and we went for uh, e-cart racing as a team the other day no one knew and, and last minute they're like what <laughs> and then i was on the billboard and all the guys are like who are you <laughs> like everyone came out of the like Sorry. we didn't even see you like <laughs> I just came it. up on the charts i was like just hiding so now the team makes fun of me that it's you know every team event we have they're like are you some secret paintballer or do you have any other skills <laughs> you just don't know about but just i've always liked to try different things as well so you know i've been in all sorts of sports activities and that's just me it continues to be me I love learning um, and trying out different things yeah and I am now at a big tech company doing tech recruitment I know we'll dive into that a little bit more but still learning love the space and and yeah I hope to continue to be in the space as well I really enjoy it awesome yeah you have awesome. an f1 bandwagoner right here that's what I did during COVID I watched Drive to Survive Uh, it's it's a thing now it's really funny because even like the most basic racers I was like moved to Australia you know with my Aussie friends I was like oh Michael Schumacher and they're like who? what? And I was like, seriously, they're like one driver you should know. <laughs> and, like, and then Drive to Survive came out and everyone knows, you know, yeah. everyone's a pro racer now. Yeah, everyone knows <laughs> everything yeah. about the drivers, their lifestyle, whatever. Everything is an expert. Apparently it did boom Formula One for the younger generations. Like I've been reading the stats and uh, it's really helped Formula One because I think they were the, the yeah. viewings were declining a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. It's really, it's interesting. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so fun fact about you is that you're a ninja. You can do <laughs> Whatever. It's just like coming out of nowhere. <laughs> invite me to team events. <laughs> Noted. Noted. Um, Alex. Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, I'm Alex. I'm born and raised um, in the UK, studied in Southampton, moved to London before getting the itch to move down under. So, I arrived in Australia in February 2020. Obviously, a very interesting time to move over here in the middle of a pandemic or at the start of a pandemic. It wasn't what I expected, but I absolutely love it here. Um, So really happy to be in Australia. In terms of a bit about my background, like a lot of people, I didn't necessarily mean to get into recruitment. I actually went to a sales assessment day where I was going to get a job as a tech salesperson, but the the founder of the business said, hey, come come join our team. Like, I kind of like you. <laughs> you could help us build. And then since then, I've had like a very fruitful career in recruitment. So always been in tech sales recruitment. Uh, I've been doing it for seven years now. It's allowed me to move over to Australia and I have recently um, moved into an internal sales recruitment role, which I used to think was the dark side of recruitment. But now having worked in it, I understand that it's <laughs> not at all. It's awesome. I absolutely love it being able to work with the candidates that I place. And uh, I'm a part of a, an awesome company that I'm sure we'll dive into in a little more detail. Um, but yeah, an awesome brand called Vicada um, that are a $3.2 billion startup revolutionizing um, the security space Um, and then I guess when it comes to me an interesting fact so um, 
I used to tell people that I will only run if I was getting chased. Um, and I was adamant <laughs> at this. People say, hey, you should run a marathon. You should do this. And it was always a no. Um, but during lockdown, obviously, a lot of people were having their their troubles, like say being secluded at home by themselves. Mental health was a, a real big issue. So I decided to uh, go David Goggins and set myself a big challenge <laughs> and decided to run a thousand kilometers in 30 days uh, for an awesome mental health charity called Alive um, and in the process managed to raise $26,500. Amazing, yeah. And um, I actually got to know Alex during his um, Mental Meters month as well. And I have to say, he really built a community around you. Like you got so many people to run with you, raise awareness, um, and it's it's for such a good cause. So, you know, kudos to you. Um, I'm on the other hand, I suck at running. Anything one in five k is not my thing. KP is um, training for her marathon. So yeah, you've got a. a you know, different people in different spectrum of running here. <laughs> yeah, not not a thousand kilometers. I did my first half <laughs> recently. Um, and I think I might also. stop at that <laughs> unless something <laughs> unless something happens and I'm like, I'll give a marathon a go. <laughs> don't stop. Don't stop. The beauty of it is that everyone can actually push themselves so much further than they actually think. Mm. Um, like if you were to simply stop yourself at a half, then you're probably doing yourself a disservice, I would say. Um, yeah. And I don't mean to be so abrupt with that, but <laughs> like these were the internal, like say thoughts that I had every single day. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, the reality is you can do it. It's just more so if you choose, you want to do it. All right. Yeah. Okay. I'm signing up now then. <laughs> sign, sign me up. <laughs> Recently, Matt Brockman, um, he ran from Perth to Bondi Damn straight to raise, way. yeah, to raise money for, um, you know, the homelessness. People. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's the same with anything in life, right? If you have that sort of mental chatter and, and know how to deal with that um, and keep yourself going, um, you get really far. So. so true. Like, Well, apparently from one side of Australia to the other. Um, he did an incredible job. He um he actually inspired me to do my uh, my first run because he actually ran I think it was a hundred marathons in a row, like say day after day. So I saw him do his first challenge, and I was like, do you know, if he can do it, I can probably do it. So I think we all got to take something away from that and know that we can do anything we want. We just got to commit. Awesome, yeah. Thanks for introducing yourselves. We. We've got a small game we wanted to play just to get to know you even better. And it's a rapid fire question, either or off the top of your head. So the first rapid fire question is coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee. I thought that the English in you would pick tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not Australia's wrong. changed you. Yeah, like the coffee here is amazing. And my mum's scarred me because she used to put probably like four spoons of sugar in each of my teas. So yeah, I don't want to go back. I'm sweet. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Second one is, would you rather sleep in on the weekend or wake up early to exercise? Wake up. Wake up, yeah. Oh, okay. Two, two on two. You guys are very in sync. Yeah. All right. Third one. For you. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I, so this is a quick side fact we we've done team exercises as recruiters 
and those personality sort of tests. And we came up very similar. We're like, mm. maybe that's why we're all recruiters. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, podcasts or books? Podcast. Podcasts. That's why you're on here. <laughs> um, all right. The fourth one is, what's one thing you can't live without? Google Maps. <laughs> I'm so bad at directions. I mean, my partner Same. keeps joking that he's like, you would just die. Like, he would, he would not find your <laughs> way home. Like, <laughs> so my instant answer to that was water. Um, but that's pretty weak. <laughs> that's literal. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It'll probably be... That's a cop out, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. It'll probably be my LinkedIn recruiter license. <laughs> I love that. You're a diehard fan. <laughs> you get some yeah. free sponsorship. It's not cheap. <laughs> and the last one is, what was the last thing you Google searched? Your search history. Oh, that is a very good question. Oh, you know what it was? Uh, well, it's not that controversial. You know, Danny Lim, what's happened oh, in yes. the QVB? Yeah, that was, yeah, definitely last night. Like, I know of him. I've seen him around Sydney for a while, but I didn't know a lot about him. I just knew him as the guy with the sign and made everyone happy. And I didn't realize how much he was involved, you know, in Strathfield mm. and as a counselor and like just how much work he's done. I just assumed he was just, you know, spreading good vibes and, it was just very sad to watch. It's just the whole police brutality thing. And so yeah, I Googled him last night just to know even more. I, I had no idea yeah, how much he's been involved in those sort of mini protests here and there and like all of the history around that. And yeah, it's just really sad. It makes me really sad. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, I agree with that. Um, I actually often see him at Martin PlayStation and give him a high five yeah. on the way to yeah. work. Uh, what a yeah. legend. Like to see that was yeah. awful. So I'm going to do two because one of them was how to connect my <laughs> Jabra headset, which is <laughs> another cop out. Damn it. Um, but, um, the, the one from last night was a 2015 Kawasaki Vulcan. I've finally took the plunge. I'm looking to get a motorbike. Um, oh. And the oh. challenge is, is that I'm trying to figure out which one I won't look weird on because I'm I'm six foot two and got my <laughs> mate's bike, and you just feel like you're on a little kids thing so trying to get something big and this seat extends so might be a winner yeah tall people problems like my partner is so tall that i didn't realize how difficult life is like you know what what airplane are we going on i was like i don't care like the the seating and i was like we're just getting the best flight that i could you know little things like that or like how much headroom and when we bought a house as well i was like i don't think of these things but it's an extra expense being tall it's it's a real struggle um and i think for the first like 14 years of my life i had one wish and one wish only and that was to be above six foot Uh, (laughs) i I, uh, my nickname when i was in school was skinny little white boy um so uh, i'm glad that i got there but uh yeah it does there you go dreams do come true right (laughs) awesome well i feel like we got to know you so much better already um, and I'm sure our listeners are so keen to just delve into the topic of recruitment and you know landing a role in tech a couple of questions to maybe get started how did you end up in tech I know you already sort of um, talked about that in your introduction but maybe more so like how did you get into the current role you're in now and what's your day-to-day like 
Uh, yeah, I can I can go. I was originally in an agency that was recruiting contractors for the company that I'm in and went on maternity leave and I was just didn't want to be an agency anymore, you know, coming in. There's just a lot of, you know, pros and cons there. So I weighed it up and I was like, I would love to try internal. Let me just give this a go. Um, they took a shot on me because I had no tech recruitment experience, but the interview process um, was very interesting. And I personally feel like if you're a recruiter, you can actually recruit anything. Um, but I did have a huge imposter syndrome where I was like, how can I hire like top engineers when I know nothing? Like my partner is an engineer. So like I know a lot from him and what he says and even what he says about recruiters. Right. And I'm a recruiter. He's like, oh, this recruiter, look at this cheesy message and like <laughs> things like that. And I'm like, OK, that does not land well with engineers. <laughs> um, so things like that was really funny that I didn't realize I was learning from him, but I was. Um and the interview process was about the transferable skills. And they really, you know, I think maybe because I was contracting, it wasn't permanent. It was okay to sort of try that out. And uh, I, yeah, was surprised with how much I could pick up and how much you learn about engineers in many different ways just to get yourself ramped up uh, from your candidates as well. And um, yeah, ended up contracting for a year. And then I converted uh, into a half recruiter, half diversity program manager role. Um, and then back to recruitment in um, in tech. Uh, I've done a, a range of different roles. And I feel like every time, whether it feels challenging or not, it, there's always a learning, there's always a way to, to figure out the role, even though you're not technical yourself. So I think that was very different to my experience where, you know, accounting, finance, business support, I was like, oh, I know what this means. Like I, I can find the people. But yeah, recruitment on the tech side is, I think they, they're very flexible for us recruiters, as well as the candidates, which we might talk about a bit later. But definitely, yeah, interesting learnings. But I feel like I'm, I'm slowly, you know, have a little engineer in me. Like, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I, I started learning to try and script and code just to like understand like what they're saying and what it means. But um, yeah, that was sort of my journey in um, to where I am now. Mine was a bit of an interesting one. So came out of university, wanted to get into sales. I'd studied architectural technology and I realized that I wasn't going to be the best architect. Um, and I had to do an additional three, four years of study. Um, I'm heavily dyslexic. And the only reason I went there, because I got told that I shouldn't go to university. Um, so I just wanted to prove a point. But I came out and I realized I wanted to make money. So I um, had a sales, roles in, uh, sales role in property for a year and a half. And then... Um, I got hit up to go to an assessment day uh, to go into tech sales. I had met quite a few people in tech sales that they were absolutely crushing it. And I'm talking young guns, making a silly amount of money. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go into tech sales. Like, this is where um, I can I can smash it. I actually showed a, a, a chap um, called Jorge who worked at a business called Olapic, uh, a property. And I was like looking at him. And he was, I was like, you're so young, but you're looking at this amazing place in London. I need to do what you're doing. So um, went to an assessment day joined a company called Venetrix. And it was quite an awkward experience. I don't know if you guys have ever done an assessment day. They can go one or two ways. You can either crush it or you can fall flat on your face. I crushed it, but in a, not a, like you're like the best way. I got taken to the side by the, the owner, uh, Elaine Tyler, who said like, look, hey, we really like you, but we think you're messing around a bit too much. Um, I was like, okay, sorry, sorry. But she turned around and 
uh, asked me to come work for her and it was an incredible opportunity i was there for four years and i was one of like the first employees that joined it was backed by james khan who is on the uk version of fish tank uh, dragon's den and um, so an incredible four years like working with pre-series c startups I started loving it. I still had a bit of an itch of like, shall I go into sales? But recruitment was really, like, I realized it's so nice to help place people into these jobs. Um, and then, yeah, I got the itch to come to Australia, move down under. Um, I joined uh, a business over here, was with them for two and a half years, like working in a remote setting. And then um, one of my friends, um, uh, Jordan, who I work with now, twisted my arm and he said that we're actually looking for a recruiter. Why don't you come join us? Um, I checked out the tech, watched a demo, saw the growth trajectory that they had and the founders um, that uh, like co-founded Vicada. And it was a very easy uh, decision for me. So I'm now responsible uh, for basically the, the APAC sales growth. Awesome. I'm really curious what your day-to-day looks like. Alex, you alluded to this earlier where you wanted to understand code. You know, is there a technical element before you, you talk to candidates of understanding technology roles that you would essentially be pitching as well? Yeah, I think um, candidates know when you don't know the role, especially obviously because they're technical. And I think I was like surprised that like I didn't need to know that much, but I think what I did was I started to just meet with engineers at the company myself. And I was like, oh, how does this work? And I did do some elective subjects at uni when, because um, in the UK for university, you've got core ones and elective, you can go rogue. Like they let you go outside of your, your core subjects. So I did do for two semesters actual coding, but it was very basic. But I understood like, you know, the concepts of like, how it works and you know what clean code looks like or like what bugs mean and just those little lingos um and the other thing was i would go through feedback from interviews a lot of it would be the code but then other things are like the comments or um you can even see it like you can see in the code when something looks messy and and you just start to calibrate and i think the other part of that is you never really know if someone is good straight away from like a phone call it's a bit different to mm-hmm. when you're doing non-tech roles where you can ask questions that you get an answer and it's quite direct in terms of mm-hmm. like okay i needed i needed people to know these things and, and they haven't sort of responded that way um but because in tech you're not the engineer there you know certain things you can cover and you can get a good feel for it but it really then comes down to a few other things yeah the other side that i really learned during this time of ramping up in tech was tech evolves so much that a lot of the candidates i saw that would probably do well is people who are always open to feedback and open to learning because you might be a few months into tech something's changed you know there um the coding languages are evolving things emerging, you have to keep up. So if someone is not learning, practicing, just just working on the how things are evolving, they will fall behind and that will be very evident over time. So I think having people who are flexible and not very just stuck to one thing, it's, it's good obviously if they have you know a focus or something they're good at, but within tech, you will fall behind. I don't think there's any area that I've heard of someone using, you know, something from five, 10 years ago. It's literally like within a year. And I hear it from my partner, right? Like he's constantly attending uh, these seminars and upskilling and just, he does a lot of reading, uh, which I didn't realize, but every little 
thing, you know, I'm like, oh, so why, what are you doing? What are you reading? It's like, you know, there's many ways to do this, but I want to read and see what other engineers have done. And it's not very clear cut. So I think in the tech space, people who are open to learning and reading and researching and trying out, that's how I almost filter as well. Like when I, when, you know, you sort of screening candidates and they talk to you about how, how they keep up, you know, and, and Mm. what they do and, um, that, that can be applied to anything. So, you know, there's certain languages when you're coding. Um, and I find a lot of candidates that are flexible with the languages go a long way because they're like, oh, it's fine. Like, you know, it's just their thought process to the problem. Then they can learn the language. So like, it's fine. I can do this. I can do that. Um, so that's been another interesting thing because you don't have to be stuck to a language. You don't have to be stuck yeah. to anything. As long as you're open to learning and feedback, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, that's why it's a very, everyone's on a very interesting path to get to tech. It's not clear cut. <laughs> it, it's the most yeah. interesting space that I've ever been in. Uh, you'll never get one path or like, oh yeah, I went to uni. Yeah. You could not go to uni at all. <laughs> um, yeah, you yeah. could have self-learning and you, you get there. So yeah, it's yeah. been for myself, I've had to just try and ramp up in different ways and just know mm. that it's okay not be fully tech but do your research before you speak to candidates and know what what the interviewer or the tech person on the other side will be looking for and asking and how it works when you get this answer versus that answer and but at the end of the day it then also follows through with with uh, actual tech interviews later but yeah that's how i agree with that right because there's so many recruiters that hit me up on LinkedIn and when they don't know the role or they can't give me insights or information about the role, I just go, yeah. hey, we're both in sales and why did you bother to call me, right? If you don't know yeah. information about the role, how are you going to get the candidates to hook into a conversation? And so yeah. I think that's really important that you, you you speak their lingo. I'm curious about the actual workflow and maybe Alex, you can cover this because Alexandra cover the technical roles recruiting really well. And then I guess your focus is more for sales and marketing roles. So, um, you know, I... The way that I got into my current role now in tech is um, I was at a tech company, got approached on LinkedIn to interview for a role, and then, you know, had a chat recruiter, then a few interviews. Um, is that usually how you would go and source your candidates? Yeah, so finding salespeople is slightly different to, I guess, technical roles yeah. in the sense that you can look for specific languages, like, okay, can they code and all of this jazz, um, where you can't really do that in sales. Right? So sales, you're looking for a, a, a track record of success. Right? So are they, uh, do they have relevant experience? So if it's a, a more senior sales role, you may be thinking, have they sold to specific verticals? Have they been talking to specific personas um at a more junior level though that's where it gets really challenging because no one really has experience so you've basically got to try and hire people based on what they're all about their coachability their potential and their track record in working in previous roles which unfortunately um i hate to admit it but i feel like so many people um, they will hype up their resume and their numbers and their figures. So uh, they can say, yeah, I smashed every single target. But if they say that to you, uh, my recruiter sense is straight away thinking, why haven't you led with the numbers? So a good salesperson in my eyes knows their numbers like the back of their hand. They can tell me what their 
their quota was, what was their revenue attainment. They can talk me through the biggest deals that they've won, the sales process, uh, if there's a sales methodology that they follow. And so the more senior you get, the easier it gets because um, the the type of questions that you can uh, ask them get you a more a faster response but on a more junior level you've just got to see like hey look do I like this person are they gonna work hard when it gets tough because let's admit it like sales is one of the toughest jobs that you can take there's loads of rejection so you've got to be resilient so you've got to try and pick that out in the interview process to know if they'll be a suitable fit for the team. On your point Alex, around recruiting for salespeople, you have very specific, I guess, data points that you're essentially collecting, right, on whether they're going to be a good fit for those roles. What about for our listeners who are wanting to break into tech? They have great business acumen, sales skills in different industries. And we talk about this in our previous podcasts as well. Are there any tips, if you like, on what about those who are trying to get into the tech industry that might not come off as a the right candidate in the first pass? Yeah, that's an awesome question. And I absolutely love finding those candidates. Like they're the best hires in my eyes, um, but they're the most challenging ones to find. Um, for example, um, I spoke with a chap earlier today who had worked at EB Games as a store manager for seven years um, and then jumped into a tech, was one of the first on the ground as an STR within two years, was an enterprise AE. Um, the LinkedIn profile didn't really make it that clear the extent of his experience, but digging in, you could tell that he was extremely driven process-wise uh, process and financially. Um, he had a really good understanding of tech. He was a nerd um, in every every shape and form. And I guess it's then the recruiter's job to to take a chance ever so often. Like because like speed to hire is very important. Often you're going to look at the best fit and then look further out. But the people that haven't got the experience, like say when they're then speaking to a recruiter, um, let's say if it's for a sales role, for instance, it's how can you make your story relevant? So uh, often you're looking for specific examples to demonstrate qualities that you're looking for. Let's just say you worked let's say the the game store for example let's say let's say are you the type of person that let's say progressed through the roles like did you take on more responsibilities were you the type of person that liked processes and order and um, did your store achieve like the best out of the other stores um, there are a lot of little nuances that you have to try and get out of them in the conversation but um, really anyone can do it it's just have you got that inherent drive to to learn like be intellectually curious are you coachable uh, if you can do all of those things, there are a lot of companies that will potentially take a chance on you and um, you've just got to position it in the right way. What um, makes a candidate initially stand out to you? Like what captures, you, you probably see so many resumes and CVs. What are the things that actually catch your eye or, or possibly things to avoid? Okay. Avoid at a must, and please, like, say, if you're listening to this and you're looking for something to avoid, don't <laughs> fluff up your resume. Okay, like, say, fluff is so obvious. Um, I've seen resumes that are three, four, five pages long. It's like, what on earth are you doing? And then you read it, and it's just loads of these buzzwords that they've added in. And do you know what? That's a massive no-no. Mm -hmm. um, to be honest, like. 
I, I love a one pager. Like if, if it's neat on two uh, in terms of a resume, great. But just talking facts, like say, what was your objective? What did you do? What metrics can you share with me on your resume that I can use? Because I think a lot of people forget that a resume is actually an interview script. Like as an interviewer, they're going to be looking at your resume and they're going to be asking you questions based on what you put on there. If you add a load of fluff, how am I going to come up with a question? You just want to maybe list key achievements, what you've done, revenue brought in. I was the second hire in APAC. And since then, we've grown to over 40 people in that time. So I can then ask the question, it's like, okay, like, look, there's a lot of growth in that team. Can you talk me through what your experience was like? I can imagine you're split, uh, spinning plates a lot or whatever it may be. But resumes don't exist until you get like the conversation going. So LinkedIn is really where it's at. Like I, I obviously hyped them up earlier, but um, like LinkedIn is essential like to promote your business profile. A lot of people do it well. A lot of people don't. Um, so adding key achievements, the kind of words that you want your employer to look for, following people and leveraging it. It's a communication tool. It's a networking tool. So uh, you want to be connecting and um, getting involved in conversations with people you want to speak to. And if you do that, if we go back to the person who has no experience, you could very easily get in. Like recruiter fees are quite quite a bit like often it can be around 20 percent of a base salary uh, that uh, a company will have to pay an agency to hire you so like if you go through an agency you have no chance if you have no experience so if i had no experience i would think okay so here's a sales role i wonder who leads up the team for that sales role you would find the sales director and i would drop him a message like hey just checked your business online I, I absolutely love what you're doing i think it's a great space to get in do you have 15 minutes for a chat this week because then what you're doing um, is demonstrating that you can sell. Like you've just done a cold outreach to a prospect. You've had it, um, hit up the decision maker and then you can get a chat. And as well, they don't have to pay a 20% fee. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I actually, I'm curious as to how many resumes you actually look through yourself. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like there's a myth around like, Oh, like, you know, like they use some sort of box to kind of pick out like the keywords before they even look at the resume. Is that true? Hmm. I think it depends where you've worked and the, the systems you've used. There's a lot of different recruitment tools. Surprisingly, where I work, people think that it's AI. We're all reviewing <laughs> resumes, literally. Mm -hmm. uh, I've actually worked in small agencies that had a tool that would use um you know, these, uh, forgot what the acronym was for like, basically like it pulls out the keywords and it would actually, the more keywords you had in your resume relevant to the job description, it would come up with like a percentage match with, which I think is like, it's a bit biased because it's just, you know, people don't have time to tweak their resume for every single job to just like throw in keywords, but it was the tools that I've used before. Like it would be automatically like, oh, this candidate's an 80% match and they would come up first. But um, every company is different and has different ways. I would still review other profiles, but that's how some tools work. So you do hear about candidates getting really tired of tweaking their resume because they've heard about this. It's not a myth, but some companies use it. So it is true. You just don't know which ones are using it, which ones aren't. Um, I do agree with Alex in terms of like super long resumes. Um, I also think there's the extreme where, you know, you get other resumes and it's a, it's a culture thing, for example, in the U S where it's literally like job title and <laughs> you're like, okay, but like, what do you, <laughs> what else is there? It's like one page resume for 10 years of experience or it depends. Like, I think 
it, you could go, you know, two pages for 10 years and you're good. Uh, I don't think you don't need to list all your references and like all this other, like sometimes people go way too much information, keep it concise. And also you don't, you know, if you're in a sales role or different types of roles, you don't have to list everything that you're doing. Like we know what you're doing, you know, for example, you're in sales, like we, we get it. Um, Try and list, like Alex mentioned, things that stand out and, and have a little section of like quick impact. You know, what was the impact of the things that you did? For example, if I'm a recruiter, I'm not going to put in, you know, screen candidates, have candidate calls. That's like a no brainer. Like, obviously, I'm calling candidates. There's no other way to talk to people. Um, I would put in more like above and beyond or a few extra things there that really stand out. Um, and you probably have read the, the three second rule <laughs> online where everyone's like, recruiters resumes for three seconds i would say it's pretty close i think we're just really good at it yeah. now <laughs> i it's funny because when i my partner started hiring himself and he was like you know taking like 15 minutes for i'm like oh my god like, just scroll and he was like but how my eyes are so like i just know i know everything where to look and it's really weird how it, it could be three maybe 10 seconds but um on your point of like what would you say i think attention to detail on a resume, it is a big deal. I'm not saying, you know, a tiny, like spelling mistake, I'll, I'll forgive that. But if you really have not thought through unfinished sentences, like if it's quite a bit, it's, you know, it's the one thing you have, it's one resume. Like if, if you're really sloppy on that, like a bit of attention to detail for, for a job that you want, I think it, it's quite, I don't know. It's just a, a bit of a sign there, but I, you know, don't always, you know, little spelling mistakes here and there. I'm not super thing about it, but you get some really messy, you know, unfinished resumes and things like that. And sometimes because I'm like, okay, don't be biased. I'll message a candidate. I'll be like, look, really interesting experience. Um, but I think you forgot, you know, to, to finish or um, because a lot of the time for tech, it's very, every resume is different. Like you just, every experience, um, we surprisingly don't use, we use LinkedIn, but it's not as big. Like you'll find that sometimes engineers, they're not on LinkedIn all the time. A lot of people I know don't even have LinkedIn. They're like, jobs will come to them. They don't need LinkedIn. That's how it is, at least in Australia. And I think globally, they're quite sought after, but Jobs will come to engineers <laughs> generally. Um, it's obviously great if you have LinkedIn, it helps recruiters find you. But, you know, we have employee referral programs. That's how we, we, we find good engineers too. We go on GitHub. So being a bit active, um, especially if you're not traditional background, which, you know, back in the day would have been a degree. Now you can be a self-taught engineer. As long as you're on GitHub, you've got a presence, we can have a look and, and we'll, we'll find engineers that way. So um, there's many ways you can be seen. So on your resume, if you link your GitHub, for example, and your, your experience is like, you know, maybe you were a lawyer and now you're an engineer. I've hired people, you know, senior people at banks that, you know, in their 40s and 50s started coding and did amazing. Um, but it's those cases that I love that you can just change your, your, your career. Um, and there's no bias to where you've been, <laughs> what you've been doing. It's like, here's what I'm doing coding and that's it. Like, that's all you need to know. And, and it's great. It doesn't matter how many years you've got or, um, yeah, it's all about like what also Alex mentioned about like your approach, your thought process, like who you're reaching out to. Like we also have engineers reaching out to managers and even myself, like if I get a message on LinkedIn and I've got a thousand applicants, I'm mm. like, okay, let me have a look at your profile because I haven't gotten there yet. Um, 
and I'll, I'll have a look. And that's a conversation starter. It's, you know, people who are, are going above and beyond um, politely. I wouldn't say like, you know, please meet with me or just, just, you know, have a few minutes to talk. Like there's other ways where you're like, oh, <laughs> that's a bit. Um, but I really, I do think it stands out um, when you sort of reaching out to, like Alex said, the decision makers and um, you do get sort of conversations started and you'd be surprised how many, you know, managers and directors are pretty open themselves to chatting or they will send the profiles to us recruiters. So I think in yeah. this world where it's getting pretty competitive and you want to stand out or you think, oh, I'm just pivoting, I won't be seen, try and go about it different ways and, and speak to people and yeah. And you will be referred. <laughs> yeah, and and also referral as well is another source, right, of um, potentially yeah. uh, reaching out because I know at the organization I'm working at, um, we do have a referral bonus, for example. So, yep. you know, when I'm referring someone, I naturally would go above and beyond and sometimes even ping the hiring manager yeah. just to say, hey, like just a heads up, my, my friend or my colleague is applying for this and um, would love it for you to review and let me know if there's any information I can provide to you about them. Um, so that's another, I guess, um, tip in terms of like trying to get noticed or seen. Uh, referrals yeah. are great. Yeah. They often make the best placements. And if you don't have someone yeah. who's working at the company already that you know, why don't you make a friend there? Reach out to one of the AEs. It's like, hey, I've seen this role. Do you mind if I, we grab a coffee? Yeah. And guess yeah. what? They'll tell you everything that you need to know about the interview process, what they're looking for. Um, so it's another way that you can get in without doing it the traditional way. And I love I love all the little tips, right? Because one of the things that I also use as almost a benchmark to see if recruiters even looked at my um, resume is I put down my favorite drink of choice and that's always a spicy mug. And usually not often. Every now and then, someone who's obviously uh, passed through my resume says, oh, Jules, you, you like um, a spicy mug. I'm like, oh, you read my resume. That's amazing. Like that. <laughs> and it's also a really great icebreaker, putting a personal touch on your resume because at the end of the day, we are all still human as well. So true. Yeah. And I think on that side, on the other front of being a recruiter or, or if you're a manager or a small company reaching out, like candidates can tell when you're being bulk emailed on LinkedIn. I know it mm -hmm. takes a bit extra time but i just don't do it like i i prefer to read their profile get a bit of context and you know you might have a bit of an, a template idea of what you're going to say but you will attract candidates especially i've noticed in the engineering space like they just get so many recruiters you know and the tech space is competitive and you know just really take an extra minute to like put in something about you know for example oh i noticed on your linkedin you like spicy marks so do i um or something um you will get more responses. Like it's, so you think it's a bit extra time, but like it's worth it. You'll get probably higher, higher rate. And, you know, even as recruiters, we get headhunted. I'm like, oh, this is so generic. You haven't <laughs> my profile at all. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> uh, but yeah, on, on that side, I think just always replying, being, being friendly and being like, you know, if you're not available and, and you can still build networks uh, as a recruiter or as a candidate, just don't forget that things might change and you might, you know, want to chat to that recruiter or, you know, candidate in future in both ways. Cause I've been on both sides where I wasn't interested in a role and I got completely shut down. It's like, well, the role's this week. So goodbye. And I was like, well, okay. If you were a good recruiter, you could build some relationship with me and I might consider you, but like that whole company to me now is like gone. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. so I think on both ends, don't burn bridges, be polite. Mm. Never know where yeah. you might come back around, and, and and they might help you. They might move around another company. Things things come back. So build um, build relationships. 
Yeah. On that point, like once a candidate's got your interest and they're through to the next round, do you have any advice on how they should approach preparing uh, for the interview or, or progressing also into the different stages of the interviews as well? I think that depends. So I'll talk for tech. There's, I guess, for coding and those sorts of interviews, um, there's different ways to prepare in terms of, you know, the cleanliness of your code, your thought process and approach to the problems. So I think to a degree, you would really need to, a lot of the time it's how you think. And sometimes you might not be able to change that, you know? So if someone is always overcomplicating their approach, unless you really can work towards that, that's, you know, the ideal is how do you simplify things, problem solve in, in those ways. I think generally what I would say for interviewing not just tech, but you will get asked a few behavioral questions, I'm sure, in any interview. And just don't be negative. I think a lot of people, when they're interviewing, they're looking to move. So they might be in a negative space, like, oh, I, don't, I can't deal with my company. I can't deal with my manager. Again, just that's a good indicator of what you might be like later. Don't, you know, talk bad about your company or people you're working with. And there's just ways to phrase you know, what you've been doing and why you want to leave. And just being positive in general is always good. So it, it could be an approach to a problem. So you might even have, you know, I don't know, a technical problem and sort of start giving up. And that's already, you know, in a way, uh, also showing, you know, straight away that you, you're giving up or being negative. Um, so that's in general. And then sort of, I guess, approaching the engineering side of, of the questions and how to progress through interviews is just at least for our company, it's a very collaborative interview process. And I think engineering in general, from what I've seen, even with friends externally, it's not just like, okay, here, go solve the problem and don't talk to me. It's very collaborative. Like in engineering, you're rarely on your own that I've seen. You you need other people for different things. Or if you're an engineering team, you'll have to collaborate. So how are you as a, as a team player? That, that applies to pretty much any company. And how do you sort of, um, yeah, work cross-functionally and make sure that things are still done and, and again, positive uh, and work well with everyone else? But, um, yeah, I think there's quite general tips that you can take for, for progressing through interviews in, in any sort of company. But the interviewers are definitely usually in, in that space there to collaborate. It'd be like, okay, so where are you stuck? Let's talk about it. Like it's engineering is always a conversation. It's evolving. It's never one black and white sometimes. So um, at least for the tech space, what I've seen and from what I've heard in other companies, it tends to be collaboration. So don't be quiet and then sort of not ask for help. But um, yeah, that's my view on tech, tech recruitment space. Yeah, I think you had some really good points there, I, especially with the uh, like behavioral questions and people being negative. Um, there's always a way to phrase something um, like you've just got to think about how you're going to come across in an interview no one wants to hire a negative Nelly and um, we want to get people a positive can see like be forever the optimist like uh, glass half full etc and um, I guess additional tip going into any interview it's always so nice just to have like a basic understanding of what the company do and I'm I'm not saying that you need to go into a massive amount of detail because the reality is we're not going to spend the time on the call like say quizzing you on everything that you know about let's say the business but you need to have like your elevator pitch so uh, it can run something along the lines of um let's say recruiter like yeah i was really impressed reading through x article uh, of this company it seems like a fantastic to uh, time to join from my understanding you do or you solve this problem is that correct 
And um, once you've got that kind of basic understanding, the recruiter is like, oh, wow, you've actually done a bit of research. I'm not going to bother quizzing you and the rest of it. I'm going to start selling you the opportunity. So I think that's very important. There's actually a way that you can uh, disarm the interviewer completely by making them uh, feel that like, wow, you've done all of your research. You know about us. Let's talk about you. Um, and then the other thing is having your personal elevator pitch. So I'm sure everyone's aware of the elevator pitch, just a, a, a very short, it could be 15, 30 seconds speech about yourself, who you are, uh, what you're all about. You need to have that nailed down to a T. And like in any interview, you are going to be asked certain questions. Have a look at the job spec, look at what they're looking for and pre uh, prepare an example that demonstrates that you've done whatever it is that they're looking for in your previous roles. This is a good segue into the next question is, we, we want to give our listeners an understanding of remuneration. And I totally get that it's going to be very varied from the types of role you both would be recruiting for. But perhaps, you know, pick one example. What can our listeners expect from a remuneration standpoint? And then I've got a part two of that question is, how can they negotiate a better package? Hmm. This is this juicy. Is juicy. Um, <laughs> I can give you like a, a very basic insight and then go over the, the negotiation, which I love it when people negotiate. I kind of expect the best salespeople to negotiate with the salary piece. Um, I'll give you kind of like a baseline of like, say, the roles, because obviously in in sales, like if we just look at the uh, the um, the revenue generating pieces like SDRs, or they're not revenue generating, but by hand they are. Like in Australia, like say SDRs are it's a really well paid job. Um, that's managing 30% of the sales cycle. So uh, you're basically expected to reach out to prospects, qualify them, and pass that qualified lead over to a more senior sales rep. And um, you can be looking at anywhere from, uh, let's say, a a 60 to an 80k base uh, with an OTE usually on like a 70-30 split so you may make an additional um, like 30 grand in comms making like 100-110k uh, for like an SMB mid-market SDR and um, as soon as you go up to account executives you're probably going to be looking at anywhere from like a 70 to 120k base and at that stage as soon as you get hired like you're you're looking at a 50-50 split but and this is a massive but uh, OTEs that businesses offer you don't mean anything if the sales reps are not meeting their targets because in Australia especially what I've noticed is that some of the OTEs that the reps are getting paid out here are humongous uh, massive and as I'm sure you're aware with the the crisis that we're going into at the moment a lot of these companies offering the biggest salary packets are letting people go like a, like a running tap because all of a sudden like you have all of these reps that are getting paid way too much money than they they should potentially be getting paid they're not meeting target so of course like you are all of a sudden a cost that a business doesn't need you can usually think of and this is a very basic one don't hold me to it but Whatever your OTE is, you like your revenue target should usually be like say four times that or three times that. So like if you've got like a a, a meal quota, like you could think like ah oh, like you could be getting like a two fifty k OTE potentially. Um, 
it's a it's not set in stone like that because obviously the higher you go up in enterprise reps from getting paid a lot more smb reps depending on the size those deal values can be a lot smaller with a land and expand approach so expecting to make more out of that account and like over years so it's a hard one but for anyone who isn't in sales, I can tell you it's it's bloody well paid. You've just got to be good at it um, <laughs> and find the right company. And the second part of your your question there is the negotiation. Yeah, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Um, know your worth, firstly. And whatever a company offers you, know that like you can, like say, negotiate. Like don't try and leverage other offers. Like you can do that, but I think it's a it's kind of a little bit shamed upon. I would say when people just get an offer to leverage it to get another offer, like you can do it. It's a very easy way to do it, but it doesn't always make you look good because you're coming in and like basically just leveraging leveraging another offer. Or if you do that internally, yeah, that's a big no-no. I think most people leave after like six to 12 months after getting their their offer increased internally. Um, But you just want to like say prove Mm -hmm. it understand like say how my money works like how do you make commission like say like what percentage of the reps are performing at the moment and then you can build a case from there like say if you're expected to bring in x amount of revenue i think often the best way to do it is if you can't negotiate i'll just simply ask flat out so hey like actually i was interested i was hoping to get 20k more than that on the base is there anything you can do and just leave it in their their Mm -hmm. court like it's like, what have you got to lose ultimately? And if they say no, um, like this is what we've got, this is where we're at, this is where we see you positioned, then you want to put a plan in place and be like, okay, great. Well, if I demonstrate to you in the first six months of the role that I can achieve quota, will you be happy me uh, happy with giving me that 20K bump on my bay? And then setting goals. And Because if you're a good salesperson, great, you're going to do it. And by the way, you're going to be making comms. So you're going to be sweet. If you're not a good salesperson, you're simply asking for it. Once again, you're going to be the first person to be cut off when you're not meeting your number. You've asked for a higher base. It's like, good luck. Um, like if you're not meeting target, it's going to be getting pretty vicious out there at the moment in terms of people getting let go. And if you're consistently not meeting your number and you're not asking for help, you're not putting in the effort, then you'll just simply be let go. Yeah, and, and at the moment, I don't see – I'm seeing people aren't even – quite going into performance management. It's just the layoffs, right? Which is very, very scary. And just to clarify for our yeah. listeners who aren't in the um the sales world, OTE on target Correct. earnings. Yeah. Okay. On target earnings. Um so the great thing about sales on the OTE part like the one of the nicest things about working in a sales environment that you can make as much money as you want so you'll often have a variable so you'll have your base which is guaranteed then on target earnings which means if you meet 100 percent of your quota you will then get your on target earnings at the end of the year a uh, great thing about a lot of companies they have accelerators so if you are over performer quite quickly you can get a 1.5x 2x multiple on the percentage that you're getting your comms from which means you can make a heck of a lot of money um sdr as you said is a sales development representative and um, this can have many different names um, so it can be business yeah. development representative um uh uh, territory development representative. XPR. Yeah, you name it. Do you know what? Sometimes I feel that like companies just decide a funny name just so that recruiters can't find them. But there's a lot of them. Sales consultant, cold caller. Uh, cloud acquisition. Cloud acquisition. That's one that I've heard yeah, of. Yeah, great name. 
That's How glamorous one. is that title? <laughs> what do you do? Cloud acquisition. We should go sales manager. <laughs> yeah, there, there's all of these. Um, but yeah, you can take a title with a pinch of salt because it doesn't necessarily mean much. Yeah, and I think from the perspective, I was just going to add from a, a, a large company perspective, like, unfortunately, sometimes counter offers are what we need uh, from like a compensation perspective to sort of um, justify that, not just like, I want this much. And that's in the tech space and I Very guess true. larger companies. I know it's not, yeah, I know it's not just us because I know of other companies that need that, right? So a lot of companies and tech companies are benchmarking off each other. So that's how they go about, you know, being able to get approvals. Um, the other side is just, you know, some companies bear in mind if they're larger might have brackets. So you cannot negotiate, you know, like, oh, I want this much. And then that's more than the manager. Um, so there's quite structured processes globally and things like that. So you really want to uh, just account for that. And I think if you're a recruiter, you know, is, is generally quite honest and you can have those conversations. I think, like Alex said, know your worth. And if you do interview, that's also how you know your worth. And you know what? Maybe you have an offer in hand that came up and um, it is a bit of a, a leverage in a way, but also you feel more comfortable. You're like, look, they're offering me this. It's it's quite competitive. And then, yeah, just, just be a bit open to what you're going to absolutely say no to and, and sort of what you really want and, and what you know the market is doing. And just be humble about it. Like, you'll be surprised that it, it can help you and go a long way. And, um you know, in terms of flexibility, you know, for where I work, it wouldn't be the case that your salary would be bumped up in a few months. Like it's just so structured. So just do a bit of research of where you're going that like you might only get annual increases, but maybe you've got equity to pull it or you've got other things and just learn about what compensation is in that place. Like, is it pre-IPO? Does that even mean anything? Like how much is that value versus what a company that's, you know, re like vesting and, and sort of very stable and even when you do get equity, like what's the difference between all these companies that like how stable are they? What's their, their portfolio? Is it just one mm. product? And, and what's the history? What's the future? So um, depending on the size and where you're going, learn about what the compensation is and ask the recruiters. Be like, look, I don't understand equity. What does that mean? Reddit has good threads. <laughs> There's always things <laughs> about like how things work and, and what, what, what that means. But um, yeah, definitely know your worth first and I'll give you confidence. Yeah, I think that was a really good point yeah. that you made. And especially like uh, I should probably add on to the on the candidate side you should ask for the the on target earning what are you expecting to pay for this role and you can also ask is there wiggle room because like if you're expecting a higher salary and they they mm. can't offer it like don't get like don't even bother going down the the process like don't waste everyone's time uh, but if there is wiggle room then it's down to you to smash it in the interview and, and get paid more okay it's tricky right because i when i was interviewing for the current role i'm in i actually asked the manager how many people in the team actually reached ote because as alex said like your ot could be over the roof but if not a lot of people are achieving that then you're not going to get that amount in your bank so, true. Um, so it's, it's good to understand um the complete package as well and alexandra also mentioned like you know, when you think about your uh, remuneration package, it's not only your pay, but also like, you know, any other benefits like health insurance, supplements, um, you know, if you're getting free food, that's also money that is going into your bank account because you're not paying for grocery a week. For example, um, gym benefits, um, so many things to, to look at. But yeah, make sure you look at the complete package. Well, I think we cover a lot of grounds. And I think a lot of our listeners who are not currently in a technology role or technology company might be thinking, well, I'm not in sales, I'm not an engineer. How do I break into this tech world or tech bubble even? 
Um, and I guess like you can be in operations, you can be in marketing, you can be in finance, you can still land roles in, in the tech um, industry. Um, but any sort of like short, sharp tips that you have for people who are outside of that tech bubble and wanting to maybe move into that? Uh, yeah, quickly from my side, I think, again, get into it if you want to. Don't give up. I've hired people, you know, when you would think it's the end of their career where they are currently and they pivot and it doesn't matter. And obviously, like the way tech is going and has been, they're, they're trailblazing in that they're not biased. Any of that. If you're good, they'll hire you in general. Right. So mm-hmm. a lot of industries can be a bit biased towards years of experience or relevance and all of that, but or degrees, you know, um, and I think there's a lot of different places i think general assembly and and those sorts of courses you'd be surprised how quickly you can pick up and it the rest of it is really you like put in the time like the best engineers that are self-taught that i've seen they put in an hour a day two hours a week just chip away at it and you'd be surprised reach out to people is the other thing i would say if you find them on linkedin know of an engineer get a little buddy get a mentor see how you're tracking and, and get that support but i think you can be in any background you can pivot anytime there's a lot of online trainings, flexible trainings, whether, you know, you might be a parent, you might be remote, there, you can do it. There's a lot available for free or not a huge cost. You don't need a degree to get into and make sure that you speak to the right people to sort of crack into it. Even if you, you might feel like it's a compromise, contracting might help. You prove yourself and from there it's done, you're in. I think there's many ways to go about self-learning and, and getting into it by speaking to different people, taking different courses. And you might be not at your dream company initially, you'll get there. Like just do the first step and then, then you'll pivot before you know it. Like, so yeah, don't give up. I think tech is very, very flexible. Yeah, I agree with all of your points, Alex. And I guess to um, steal a quote from Simon Sinek, it's like, find your why. Like if you come to a business and you know why you'll be a good fit there and you can demonstrate that in an interview, then you're more than likely, like if you're good, going to be able to get it because um, like if you believe you're a good fit for it and you can demonstrate it, then of course, like why wouldn't they hire you? Um, so don't often worry about your experience per se. Um because they're investing in the future version of yourself. So you've got to demonstrate to them that who you're going to become within that business is going to be someone that's going to be truly valuable. And um, if you're actually worried about the tech component of a role, a lot of larger companies like Microsoft and Google, they do have like, you know, skills programs where you can actually learn about uh, cloud skills or business intelligence, data, even engineering, coding in some um, instances as well. So do check them out. But we do want to thank Alexandra and Alex for your time today. I know you took a bit of time out of your busy day to chat to us. So we really appreciate that. Um, we hope our listeners do enjoy the conversation. If you do have questions, please do leave a comment on our social media. And as always, show us some love by subscribing and also rating the episode. We really appreciate you. You've been listening to Let's, Let's Take, take it, it Offline. Line.